If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43? Isaiah chapter 43 is where we're going to be, and I'll give you a little extra time because that's an Old Testament passage uh, in, the, in the Old Testament there. And while you're doing that, th- this past week, my brother, uh, as part of his job, happened to be up in the area where uh, my dad pastored in Salem, Ohio. That's where I graduated high school and uh, where some of us went to school. And And he posted online his travels, and, and my brother is very nostalgic. He really is. He likes all that kind of stuff. And so he he went to the junior high there and walked through. And as lo- I was looking at some of those pictures, it brought back all kinds of memories uh, of being in middle school there. And And it's now not a middle school, but a uh, something to do in the medical field. And and it was just really, really interesting. And I remember, do you remember being in junior high or high school? Do you remember, remember that those many years ago? I, and I think I've shared this illustration. I remember one time at lunchtime, uh, we would play basketball. And so uh, it was my turn to be captain uh, that lunch hour. And so for a change of, of pace, I decided to pick everybody that never gets to pick get picked first. I thought I would just start in the other end and pick that way. And then, and, and so I did. And you know what? Uh, my motives were pure. And, and man, we, we, we won the afternoon basketball game uh, at lunchtime. And it was great. And I thought, this is wonderful. And so the next day, my motives had changed. And I thought, you know, now let's do that again. And, and let's just pick everybody that's never been picked before. And we'll just do that again. And, and, and God has a sense of humor. And, and we got our clocks cleaned uh, the next day. But I remember feeling uh, what it was like to be in a line where people are picking sides. Have you ever, do you remember back there in junior high and high school? And and I'm going to make a huge assumption that you're an awful lot like me. And what did you think about back then? As you were standing in the line, you probably thought something like this. Please, God, don't let me be the last one. Right? Right? And really what you didn't ever want to hear was this. Okay, you take them, right? If you're, the, if you're coming down and you're noticing you're about the second or third of the end, you, what you really didn't want to hear is someone say, okay, I'll take so-and-so, you can have the rest. Because that meant you really weren't up to par with the rest of the basketball players or whoever you were going to be working with. And I remember feeling that way. Now, if you've been out to eat with us, and my wife would attest to this, I like to call people by their name. If I know your name or if I see your, your tag, if you're in a restaurant or somewhere, I will try to call you by name and identify you and just encourage you and say thank you for, for what you've done. And so many times in the restaurant or a department store, if I happen to see their name, I'll call them by name and I'll say thank you. Thank you for your service and for your help. Everybody likes to hear their name. Everybody likes to hear their name usually, unless it's connected to your middle name. And there's a certain tone that goes with your name and your middle name. Do you know what I'm talking about? Everything was fine as long as my parents called me Scott, but if I ever heard Scott Edward with a certain tone, then I knew certain things were about to happen. And I gave you one of those last illustrations last week, to which I got to thinking about this. Remember I was telling you about, this is way off the subject, but remember when I was telling you about my dad taking my punishment last week? Remember I told you that illustration? I was telling telling dad, I said, do you remember that story? He said, no. I felt like saying, well, then the outcome of that story was going to be drastically different. (laughs) which is a lot funnier in my head than it is right now. Since, But parents take an awful lot of pride 
in choosing names. Do you remember, remember that process? Spelling, figuring out what, what is trying people, you know, the, the various names. Sometimes it's because a, it's a family name. Sometimes it has a special meaning. Sometimes it's a character trait attached to it. Even God has different names that describe who he is. Adonai means the Lord, my great God. El in the front of means the strong one, or Elohim means the all-powerful one, creator. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. It it describes the various characteristics of, of who God is. And there's a wonderful verse in the Old Testament that reminds us of God's love and care for each one of us when he calls us by name. And so here's my text this morning. Isaiah 43, the first three verses, it reads like this. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's interesting that the book of Isaiah was primarily written by the prophet Isaiah, and he spoke of prophecies primarily dealing with the people of Judah, although his message obviously was applied to Israel as well. Uh, Isaiah lived through a very dark times of the sort of a, of a civil war between Israel and Judah and saw the destruction of Israel back by the Assyrians in 722 BC. Isaiah spoke about the events that would take place after his own time, including the, the coming exile of Judah to Babylon and the deliverance that God would provide afterwards. Isaiah warned the nations surrounding Israel and Judah that they too would be judged for their actions. And in the end, Isaiah offered a message of hope and comfort to the entire world, promising that God would restore the nations after their punishment was completed. And so our text comes from one of those translations from or transitions from judgment to hope with these words, but now, but now, the things that had happened, he was warning them, and then all of a sudden in chapter 40, things changed, and and now he's giving a, a sense of hope. And so he says, those things were then, but now this is what will happen. And so there are a couple of things I want us to look at this morning. The first one is this, that God is the creator and the author of life. Uh, If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, what does it say? The Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God created. The Bible doesn't give a defense for God. It doesn't try to prove God's existence. Uh, It doesn't talk about the teleological and ontological and cosmological arguments for the existence of God. It just begins with the premise that God is, that God has always been, and that God began the process of creating It's interesting, in Psalm 139, we get these words. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days are ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so we, we, get, this, we get this question. Why is this important for us to know that God is the author and the creator of life. It's because even today, this concept is being challenged. Remember, Isaiah lived in a time of civil unrest. Now, it's interesting, and I'm just going to confess, it's been interesting over the last 24, 48 hours. I wrote this sermon long before the events of this particular week. And so, um, I've done a lot of praying about how to talk about it. Because my sermon isn't, isn't talking about the events of this week, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But I think it's important that we share about what God is doing. For nearly 50 years here in the United States, there has been a battle for the sanctity of life. And even as we speak, lines have been redrawn in the discussion of who gets to choose about the decision of life. We are living in a day of cancel culture where even today we are making lifelong decisions about sexuality, even during childhood. Our text references a time when the nation of Israel turned its back on God. And while God brought judgment upon the nation, it was not, it was not without hope. And I would confess when I listen to the news and reports and see the rioting and the protests and the coverage, it can seem like a time that I don't recognize. But I am not without hope. Our God is our creator, and he is the author of life. And everything that God does, he creates, is good. It is sin that will mar and destroy that which God has created. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we reread the creation account, and after each thing that God created, he said it was good, except one. He made the light in the sky and the dark and the dry ground. He made the vegetation and the seed plants. He, he split the day and the night and every living creature, and after each of those days, he said it was good. But when he made man, he made man in the image of God. And he said it was very good because it was sin that would break that relationship with God. And when we get discouraged and we, we, we think less of ourselves, remember that it, it, that's not how God sees us. God views us in a very different way. Every child, and I got to thinking about this, Every child that is created, God says, they're mine. I created them. I was there from the very beginning. I'll give them to you for a period of time, but they're mine. I've created them. As I got to thinking this morning, I said, God, what do I say? Because I know the battle lines have been drawn. 
And so let me take this out of the political, okay, and share with you where God is. God says, I created them. I am the author of life. God is not bound by a court's decision about whether we think it's right or wrong. God is not bound by that. God says, this is my word. I'm the author and perfecter of life. So God is not bound about whether or not a Supreme Court or judges or protests. God isn't, God isn't about all of that. So let's take that out of the political discussion. We can be like Jesus and stand firm on God's word. But we also must love well. It doesn't do us any good to beat people over the head, to draw division lines. All of those things can be done in a very loving way. God is always about standing firm. But he was always, and I'll talk about this a little more in a minute, but he was always drawing people to himself. Every issue has tentacles of consequence and repercussion. So let's look at the issue from a totality for just a moment. People will draw lines and they will say, well, what about, what about all the things that go with it and those who can't afford and, and, and those it was forced upon and, and, all of, and, and there's a lot of rhetoric going on and tensions are extremely high. And I believe that if we're good Christian people that we would support the other side of things to say that we need to be supportive of those who are struggling with decisions and to provide opportunities. I know that many here in our congregation were instrumental in starting Starting Point here in town that offers counseling and, and other decisions that can be made. We help to support a place for grace. We, we, we work with Out of Darkness, which is helping women off the streets in, in, in Columbus. And so it's not extensive. It's not for everything, but those are at least some of the ministries that we're a part of of our church to say, if we're going to hold some things, then we also need to have this on the other side. In every circumstance, we are faced with a decision. And I read, and I read this account, and I wish I would have printed it off. So, Lord, I'm going to... I'm just going to ask for your help. For those who are struggling with a decision. I want them to know that they are loved and God loves them. For those who things were forced upon them, I want them to know that they are loved and that God loves them. For those who are struggling with a decision of regret and guilt because of a decision that they had to make years ago and realize maybe that wasn't what they should have done, I want them to know that they are loved and that God loves them. I want them to know that God is the author of life. It's not bound by all the various rhetoric. And so as Christians, it's important that we stand firm about what God says about decisions, about he, he is the author and perfecter of life. But we also want to make sure that we are standing firm but loving well. And those who are faced with some difficult decisions, we want to show them Christ-like love. Now, 
please don't hear me clear, carefully. It doesn't mean that we're condoning things, but it means that we can stand firm and love well the way God would have us to do that. When we're facing a decision, let me reread Psalm 139. And verse 1 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. God, you know everything that I do. You, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and, and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. And thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God, for they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. In fact, when I wake up, I love this verse. When I wake up in the morning, you're still there. Isn't that a beautiful rendition of what God says to us? That in the midst of life, in the midst of making important decisions, in the, in, in the midst of trying to figure out how to stand firm and love well, we can say, God, in the morning when I wake up, you are still there and you will help me. Here's the second thing I want us to know this morning. He knows who I am and whose I am. Israel and Judah had have sinned against God and they've turned their backs on him and yet his love, while long-suffering, does have its judgment. The nations would be carried off into captivity and while it does have an element of judgment, it was done to bring them back. Elements of redemption. That the former ways do not have to be the present ways. And the, the chapter starts with the words, but now... God is the one who redeems us and calls us by name. He knows who we are and whose we are. Look how we began this chapter. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. And O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. 
Unfortunately, as time passed, the children of Israel thought that the relationship they had with God was only for them. But listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about this new relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. If we read these in reverse order, actually, Galatians 3, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are the one, you, we are all one in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, it says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. It was Jesus who gave everyone the opportunity to journey with him. Listen to him, explore his teachings, experience his miracles, his power, discover the depths of his love. And, it was a, and as a result of journeying with him, some believed and entered into the plan of salvation while others didn't. They didn't believe and therefore did not accept the blessing of his salvation's plan. But nevertheless, Jesus never pushed them away. Those who, in spite of journeying with him, chose not to believe. Jesus ministered to and welcomed everyone, regardless of their intentions or their personal backgrounds. Jesus ministered to and welcomed everyone, regardless of their intentions or personal backgrounds. When they were talking about the children, the, the, the disciples got annoyed with the children running around. And what did Jesus do? He, he snatched one of them up and sat him on his knee and said, listen, we have to become, we have to, we have, may they become like the children or the, the children of heaven belongs to such as these. Or, the, or when Zacchaeus, the detestable tax collector, was despised in those days and Jesus walked by and he called Zacchaeus by name and his behavior began to change the moment Jesus told him that he belonged. Or there's the sinful woman who, while at the house of a religious leader, Jesus anointed Jesus' feet and he said, a woman in that town who lived in a sinful life, it was Jesus who highlighted her faith. Or the adulterous woman, Jesus didn't overlook how she had violated the law or her sinful behavior, but at the same time was consistent in his mission to save that which was lost. And Jesus welcomed her and loved her and forgave her. Or the untouchable lepers who were ostracized from society and no one wanted to be around them and no one wanted to touch them. And yet it was Jesus who did not push them away or react as if they were afraid of him. He touched them and healed them. Or the Samaritan woman who was at the well who had been an outcast among her own people and yet it was Jesus who showed her kindness and love. This was the heart of the mission. Not everyone who followed Jesus believed in him, but that did not keep him from ministering to them. Jesus allowed them to follow and belong before believing. And in Jesus' model, behavioral changes are preceded by a deep sense of belief and an intentional act of repentance. And so I've said this before, are we gatekeepers? Or gate openers? Do we say Jesus loves you? And, and I know that there are things and decisions, and I will let the Holy Spirit work in your life as He did my life. And I will tell you the change He can make if you let Him work in your life as well. 
the funeral yes Friday, I, I used an illustration about an old transistor radio. Alan Myers used to sit right over here. Many times you would hear him say amen or preach it, brother. And, and so if any of you want to continue that tradition, it's perfectly fine with me. But he used to collect transistor radios. And I was over at the house this past week and Ruth was showing me around and there was a little transistor radio that looks like, well, it was this one actually. And I said, Ruth, that looks exactly like the one I had growing up. And I remember how cool I felt with this AM radio by General Electric. And I could, it would be my own and, and dad, again, you didn't know this, but I would take this radio and I would play it and Oh, it was so cool to get stations on it. And so many times now, there's a big aerial over here for WNZR, but that's FM, where you go on the other side of town and, and WMVO, I think it is, in 1330. And, and a lot of times when you turn on the radios, you get static. And sometimes in life, that's how we are. We've listened to so many different things that all we hear is static. And yet, please, Lord, let this work. And somewhere along the line of this station, you laugh, but you're not up here. <laughs> because of all the interference in, in these walls, it does play a station. But my point is this, that sometimes in life we need to put the static of the world at bay and tune our lives so that we can hear from God. God, as Ben said, may my heart's response always be yes. May it be yes, Lord, that you can work in my life today. And it's the same when we allow the Holy Spirit because we know who we are and whose we are. Here's the last one, that God is for us, not against us. I love how it says it in the message. Verse 2 says, when you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. And when you're in rough waters, you will not go down. And when you are between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. Have you ever found yourself over your head having to make a decision first with the things of life? Thought you were going down through some rough waters, been between a rock and a hard place? I think we all have. And we can choose how we respond to those because God has already said how he will respond. He said he would be with us that we will not drown even when we feel like it or that life is not a dead end because he is our God. Let me share with you this last illustration before I close. We lived in Canada and I was a Boy Scout growing up and 
this particular weekend, we were away at a boys' camp and we were swimming in a lake. And they had a, they had a, they had a diving dock out from shore And part of the requirement was that you had to swim from point A to point B along the shore and then turn and swim out to the dock. And if you could do that, then you could go to the dock and dive off the dock. I thought that's fine. So I started to swim. Now it was shallow enough that when I got tired, confession is good for the soul, I would walk. Which brings me to a funny story about my daughter who was on the swim team when we were in Wichita. And she was doing the breaststroke or one of those kind of things. And her best friend was 6'2", when Bethany is 5'2". And so she was trying to do the breaststroke and her best friend's mother said, look at Bethany out there. Bethany was... She must have gotten it from her father because she was trying to do the breaststroke, but she couldn't, she couldn't keep up. And so she was walking on the bottom going like this. I got to point B, and now I had to make the turn to swim to the dock. The water got deeper. And I no longer could touch the bottom. And I was tired. Have you ever been there? Maybe not swimming. But in life, have you ever gotten to a place where you thought you were making it and all of a sudden you felt like you were in over your head? As I swam to the dock, I didn't lose hope. I was a little on the nervous side as I was getting tired. But I knew that there was a lifeguard who was watching me. Now, I like that term, lifeguard. No, not the together word, but lifeguard. Because I'd like to think that's what Jesus is for me. That when I'm in over my head, that there is someone who is watching me and knows what I need. How do I know that? Because he was with me from the very beginning. And he he knows my name. And if I really was in trouble, I could call out to the lifeguard. And the lifeguard would come. And when you and I feel like we're in over our head, and we feel like things aren't working, or having to face some decisions, we can call out to the lifeguard and he will hear us. Do you remember when I began this morning when I was talking about standing in line and one of the words you never wanted to hear was, okay, you take them. Well, in this case, I'm glad that Jesus saw me And he said, it's okay, I'll take him because he's mine. I've redeemed him. I love him. 
And this morning, maybe online, or maybe here today, you're running over your head, decisions of the past, battle lines drawn, standing firm, loving well. Maybe today, we just need to hear Jesus say, who is the author of our life, to say, I'll call you by name. I've redeemed you because you're mine. You are mine. My message concludes with this passage of Scripture, which is the same chapter, just a few verses down. It says this. This is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies, they lie down and they cannot get up. They are snuffed out like the many candles. Forget what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. Oh, I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting now. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. Rivers in the badlands. Today, may we say to God, God, I don't know what you have for me, but I do know this, that you created me and you formed me. And I don't have to be afraid because you have ransomed me and you have called me by name. And when I go through deep waters, I know that you will be with me. And when I go through rivers of difficulty, I know that I will not drown. And when I walk through the fire of oppression, you will, I will not be burned up for the flames will not consume me. For God, you are my God, the Holy One of Israel. Today, you are my Savior today. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I thank you, first of all, for your help today. I pray, Lord, that we might just take the, the transistor radios of our life, that we might eliminate the static, because we can get overwhelmed. May our focus be on you and what you would say, because your ways are higher than our ways. And may we stand firm for what you, God's Word says, but let us also love well. God, help us today. We, we live in a world, Lord, that is wrestling with deep issues. And so, Lord, may we, may we be the light of the world. Someone brought me a box this week of little flashlights that said, Jesus, the light of the world. May that be true for all of us that, God, we can be the light of the world as they see us. May they see, when they see us, may they see you. So help us today because we do not have to be bound up for the things of this world. So, God, help us to do our best to live holy lives for you. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that as we go from this place, knowing who we are and whose we are. May we receive your blessing upon our lives. May we go with the hope knowing that Jesus Christ loves us. Would you help us to stand firm but love well? 
Guide us this week, we pray. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you this morning. Thank you for joining us online. May God bless you. We'd love to see you in person. Great to have you here. Have a great week.